good morning. If you are a visitor or a regular attender or a member, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I'm so grateful that you have joined us today. You are welcome here, and I am grateful that you are here today as we worship the Lord Savior, the, the Lord Jesus Christ today, and declare together that He is Lord. Now, I wonder in your lives if you've ever found yourself in a hopeless and a helpless situation. Uh, I know many of us, if we had story time, could share of all the hopeless and helpless situations that we have found ourselves in throughout the year uh, or throughout the years. Knowing that something bad is coming, but then also to share testimony of knowing when we find hope. Today in our text that we look at, Paul has just told us in the past four weeks as we've walked through chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, he's just told us that the wrath of God is coming and that we're hopeless and helpless. But today in God's word, beginning in Romans chapter 3, 21, he tells us that there is hope against the wrath of God and his name is Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, and we discovered that no one is righteous before God. And today, as we look in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, we will discover the hope that we have in Christ alone. Now, while all of Scripture is God's Word and it's important, it has been said that the book of Romans is one of the most important books in the Bible for understanding the gospel. And even more specifically, the text that we find ourselves in today has historically been said to be some of the most important verses in the book of Romans. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther said of this text that we're looking at today that it is the chief point in the very central place of this letter of the book of Romans and in the whole Bible. Others have called it the epicenter of Paul's gospel. So with a text this rich... For a person like me who loves deep dives into theology, it can be easy for me to turn this into a four or five part sermon series. In fact, Pastor John Piper, when he preached the book of Romans, he took eight years doing so. But yet I have scheduled it in just 32 sermons. So my goal today is to fight the urge to do a deep dive in theology and the depths of the theology of this text and to simply explain what it is that the text says what it means, and how we can apply it to our lives in a way that's understandable for all ages and stages in our congregation. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles, uh, take them out and turn to the book of Romans. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that is okay. Uh, we should have one in the seat in front of you that you can use. If you don't own a Bible, today that Bible is our gift to you. You are free to take it. Uh, we believe that everybody should have a copy of God's Word today. And you can find our passage today on page 885. With that being said, let's read now Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And it says this, But now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
And this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul has just walked through, like we just said, almost two chapters on the heavy topic of the wrath of God. He told us first that the consequence of rejecting God's knowledge is being given over to our sin and telling believers that they have no entitlement against the wrath of God. And then he told his people, the Jews, that they have no special place of exemption from the wrath of God. And then finally last week when we looked, he told us that no one is righteous and no one will avoid the wrath of God and that no one is good when measured with the goodness of God. And if we're being honest, after reading those almost two chapters of text, we can almost feel discouraged or hopeless or helpless. And that is Paul's goal. That's his agenda, get us to a place of hopelessness and helplessness. And he wanted to point out the hopelessness and the helplessness of humanity so that Romans 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 21, could bring about such good news. Paul begins in chapter 3, verse 21, saying, but now. Now, as a kid, we're always waiting for the but in the sentence, right? Our parents will say, hey, this is what you've done. This is what you deserve. This is the punishment for what you have done. And we're always waiting, but, right? We're always waiting, but I'll give you grace or but I'll let it slide this time. Paul here is saying, this is what you deserve, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. And you may say, I don't know what the righteousness of God is, but after what you've just said, it sounds better than the wrath of God, right? Amen? So what is the righteousness of God? Well, Psalm 89, 14 declares the righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And we can understand the righteousness of God, meaning that God is always inherently right. He does what is right. He is the definition of what is right. And there is no wrong in him. He is the standard for what is good. So how is the righteousness of God being revealed good news for all of us? Well, let's keep reading. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed or it's been made known apart from the law. Well, that's good news, right? Because Paul has just told us that none of us have any hope in keeping the law, that everyone, that all have fallen short of keeping the law. And now Paul says the righteousness or the goodness of God has been made known apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets testify or give witness about the way of God's righteousness, his goodness, his righteousness has been made known to us apart from a law that we can't possibly keep. Now, that is good news. It's getting good. So, Paul, what do you mean? How do we get this righteousness of God? Well, the righteousness, the goodness of God, what does it say? Is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. See, we were a people who were hopeless and helpless against the wrath of God, and we were unable to meet the standard of the law. But now there is good news. We can have the righteousness of God instead of the wrath of God if we have faith and believe in Jesus Christ. And this is really good news, but let's ask a few questions. The first question is, well, what is faith? What is it to have faith in God? 
We sing songs about faith in God. We say have faith in God, and we put that artwork on our walls, and we put it on our coffee mugs. But what does it mean to have faith in God? Well, faith simply can't mean just believing, right? Because James tells us that even the demons believe in God's existence. James also tells us that faith doesn't result in faith that doesn't result in action is a dead faith. So we know that faith results in obedience, but we also know that obedience or actions is not faith. So what is faith? Well, I think it's best that we understand faith in God as trust in God. We trust him. We have a settled assurance and confidence, hope that he is who he says he is, that he is in control. And so it leads us to trust God, to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, to trust God to be in control, and that our settled assurance and trust leads us to obedience, and that our settled assurance and trust causes us to believe. So we can understand the core of how we have faith in Jesus Christ is we trust him. Easier said than done, right? Amen? Paul's point here is that the saving righteousness of God is not revealed in our obedience to the law, but rather through faith. And that's nothing new. That's the way it's always been. That's the point even that the writer of Heath, the author of Hebrews makes. Uh, sorry, I'll be able to speak here in a second. Uh, that's the point that the author of Hebrews makes in Hebrew 11, where he says that there has never been a means of salvation other than faith in the true God. Well, who is the righteousness of God available to? Well, we see in the end of this verse right here that it says that for all who believe. So the righteousness of God, which has been revealed apart from the law, is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, remember the tension that Paul is writing to in this letter. He's writing to a very divided church in the city of Rome. And there's been this uh, point where all the Gentiles were exiled from the city, and then they've been invited back into the city, and then they find a church where there's all these Jewish traditions that are going on, and they don't recognize what there's going on. So there's this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles within the church. So Paul's writing this letter to bring a unity to a divided church. And so Paul says, hey, this is not just available to the Jew. It's not just available to the Gentile, but the righteousness of God is available through faith for all who believe. In fact, he says it even more clearly in verse 23. He says, for there is no distinction, right? For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. See, Paul reminds us here, hey, it's not the Jew, just the Jew that's fallen short. It's not just the Gentile that has fallen short, but everyone, all, all of humanity has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Therefore, the righteousness of God through faith for all believe, who believe brings about justification. Now, that's a big word. You probably didn't come here today hoping to figure out that big word. But what does justification mean? Well, we can understand justification and righteousness to be very similar words. So we understand the righteousness of God as his perfect character. And because of our character as sinners, we're separated from God forever because his perfect character cannot be associated with sin. So we can understand justification is our character being made right so God can be associated with us. So we can be back in a right relationship with God. 
Theologian Wayne Grudem defines justification as this way. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. He declares us to be righteous in his sight. So God is our judge and we all sit before him and he declares only those in Christ to be right. So if we put our faith in Jesus... God declares that we are forgiven, that we're acquitted, and we're put into a right relationship with God based on what Christ has done for us through his sinless life and his death and his resurrection. And see, as justified people, we have a new status. We have a new identity and a new family and a new hope of enjoying his new creation. And it's also important for us to remember when we come across this word justification. Justification is not a process. There are no degrees of justification when God sees us as justified. See, I'm no more justified before the believer than any other believer in Jesus Christ. We are all equally justified and are in the right standing before God. Also, it's important for us to remember that justification is not something that we do, but it's something that God does. See, not one of us can justify ourselves before God. If we could, then what need would we have for a Savior in Jesus Christ? Finally, we need to remember justification does not mean that God makes us righteous, but rather God puts the righteousness of Christ on our record in place of our sinfulness. The big word for this is imputed, and I'll say that in a few minutes. And when God does this, no one can change the record. It is a settled one-time act. So let's be mindful to not confuse justification and another big word, which is sanctification, which is a process. See, sanctification is the process in which we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day. So we are justified instantaneously when God sees us as just. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon us. And then we are constantly being sanctified as we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day as we follow him. And then one day, finally, we will be glorified when we're in the fullness of the glory of God in heaven with him on that day. So we are made just, uh, we're put in right standing with God, and this is great news. But why? Why does this happen? Surely there has to be a reason why this happens. We'll keep reading. It says, by his grace as a gift. See, we are justified by God, not because of anything that we have done, but by God's grace, which is given as a gift. And grace is something that by definition uh, that is giving that we don't deserve. And God's grace is the unearned favor of God that is given freely to us. So we're justified by God's unearned favor as a gift, something freely given to us. And that's the why. But what about the how? How are we justified? How can this occur? How can we get the righteousness of Jesus Christ? We'll keep reading. It says, through the redemption of Jesus Christ. We are justified through redemption in Jesus Christ. We all know what it is to redeem something in our culture, don't we? Oftentimes in our Awana program, our kids will say a verse and they're gifted with a coupon or a voucher for a free item. And the one that everyone wants very strongly and they desire is the free Bahama Bucks snow cone. 
I mean, that is a great gift. It makes me want to line up and say a verse in front of the kids so I can get a free snow cone, right? And I don't know who got those prizes, but it's an amazing gift that somebody pulled that off. And when my kids get those, they can't wait to go and redeem their free card at Bahama Bucks to tell them what they want, to hand over their card, and to redeem their voucher to purchase that snow cone. And see, we as humans were sinful. And the only way that our justification, our right standing before God was made possible is through the redemption of the sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid the full price to redeem sinful human beings. See, the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of God revealed brings justification by God's grace as a gift through redemption in Jesus Christ. Further, Paul continues in verse 25, and he tells us that Christ Jesus was put forward as a propitiation. Now, what in the world does that mean? What is propitiation? Now, the word propitiation has the basic understanding and idea of appeasement or satisfaction. So it is God satisfying his own wrath perfectly, See, Paul has told us over and over, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming for everyone. No one is exempt. It's coming for all of us. And there's nothing that anyone, all of humanity can do to satisfy or appease the wrath of God. But here we see that Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice whom God put forward by his blood, satisfies the wrath of God perfectly. And that is good news, church. See, the only satisfaction for God's wrath that could ever reconcile God's perfection and our sinfulness had to be made by God himself. And this is the reason that God came in human flesh as a baby, Jesus Christ, and he was willingly to give himself as a ransom for all, as we see in 1 Timothy. See, Jesus Christ appeased and satisfied the wrath of God. Well, how did he do this? Well, it says, by his blood. The wrath of God was only satisfied by Jesus' blood. Remember when we looked in 1 Peter last year, at 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, we saw that we were not redeemed, we were not purchased with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who's like a lamb without blemish or spot. See, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a baby, fully God and fully man, lived a fully sinless life, and he was the fully perfect sacrifice for our sins to satisfy and appease the wrath of God by his blood. Now, why is blood so important in the Bible? Why do we sing songs? We've just sung songs about his blood. We've just taken the Lord's Supper and drank juice in remembrance of his blood. What is so special about the blood of Jesus Christ in the Bible? Well, the best illustration of where we can understand this is the Jewish Day of Atonement, which we find in the book of Leviticus chapter 16. And there were two goats that were taken and presented at the altar with perfect in their their self as an animal. And one of them was chosen for a sacrifice. The goat that was killed had its blood taken into the Holy of Holies, And this was sprinkled upon the mercy seat, which was the golden cover on the Ark of the Covenant. And the sprinkled blood covered the two tables of the law inside of the Ark. So the shed blood met temporarily the righteous demands of a holy God. And then the priest would come out and he would take the other goat that had not been slain, 
are, are killed. And he would lay his hand on that goat and he would confess the sins of the people. And then he would ceremonially take him off into the wilderness and set him free to symbolize the carrying away of the sins. However, we know that in the Old Testament, the blood of animals could never fully take away sin. It could only cover it until the time when Jesus would come and purchase us as a finished salvation. God had passed over the sins that were passed, knowing that his son would come and he would finish the work. So God's wrath is satisfied fully and completely by the blood of Jesus Christ, who was the perfect sacrifice. But how is this received by us? How do we receive this covering? How do we receive this justification? Well, again, as we look in verse 25, we see these words. It says, whom God put forward as a perpetuation by his blood to be received by faith. We've already talked about what faith is, is trusting God, coming to God with empty hands and like a child who trusts his father or his mother with his needs, coming into him with open hands and having faith that he will. And the child doesn't deserve what his father and mother give him, but it's given freely as a gift. However, I think it's important to say again that just believing in Jesus Christ is not enough. We must have faith in him. We must trust him. Why? Well, if we think that our belief is somehow the cause of our salvation, then we might be tempted to somehow think that we had something to do with our salvation. And in our days of doubt, we can begin to think that somehow maybe we have lost our salvation. But remember, our faith in God is something that leads us to believe and to be justified, which is a settled one-time act. Our faith leads us to believe, and our faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit who reveals our sinfulness to us and opens our eyes and shows us our desperate need for a Savior whom we go to in faith like a child, asking Him to save us from our sins, to save us from the wrath of God, and He is faithful to do so, and when He does so, it is a one-time settled act. Our justification cannot be reversed because it's something that God has done, not something that we have done. And see, because the blood of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is satisfied, and it puts on display the goodness of God, the righteousness of God. And in the past, when the goats were sprinkled on the mercy seat, God's righteousness was shown because it says, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Now, what does forbearance mean? Well, if you've ever had student loans, raise your hand. We, you know who you are. All right. Or any other type of loan, you know what it is to put those loans on forbearance while you're still in school, right? It's the temporary forgiveness of a payment that has to be made, the pausing of a payment that has to be made. But now, presently, Paul says the righteousness of God is being shown through the blood of Jesus Christ, who satisfies the wrath of God to permanently justify or make us right in God's eyes presently so that, so that God might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. This paragraph, verse 21 through 26, I'm telling you, we could spend four or five sermons in it. We could get deep in it. But it is a rich paragraph in Scripture. Just one more question as we finish out verse 26. One more discussion. How is God just and the justifier? Well, that's what makes the cross and all of its agony so beautiful. See, the wonder of the cross is in that one moment, it both satisfies the love of God and the justice of God. In one moment, it shows us that God is both the judge 
who is just and he cares about his word and to set standards and hold us accountable to them, as well as he is the justifier who also satisfies his own wrath through sacrificing himself as fully human and fully God in order to forgive us who have faith and believe in him of our sins that separate us from him. See, this is beautiful but gruesome. This is complex but simple enough for a child to understand. And you say, Jonathan, this passage, how is this simple enough for a child to understand? Because we can understand it in this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. So we can understand the beauty of this passage in knowing the gospel, knowing that there is a God who is fully perfect. He created everything that we can see and we can touch and we can feel, and he can do no wrong. He is fully perfect and righteous. But we as humans are filled with imperfections. We've all broken God's law. We've all sinned. We've all lied. We've all stolen. We've all lusted. We've done things against God's law. And we know that that creates a problem because we cannot be in a relationship with a perfect God who loves us, but he cannot be associated with sin. And we are all sinners. And therefore, to be reconciled with him, we all need help. We all need a rescuer. And praise be to God that in his love for each one of us with which he loves us, he sent us a rescuer named Jesus Christ. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a baby, who was fully God and fully man, but yet he lived a sinless life here on earth, but yet he went to a cross and he died for your sins and he died for my sins. And then three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave so that today we can have the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon us and we can be back in right relationship with Jesus Christ. That is good news. If we have faith, trust God and we believe in him. If we turn from our sins and we follow him, then we will be saved from our sin that separates us from him. Praise God for the beauty of the gospel. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Paul then continues finishing out this beautiful chapter it's a little bit of a lighter section in verses 27 through 31. Just like last week when we saw Paul in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, he asked some rhetorical questions that he asked the questions and then he answered like a good school teacher who was assuming what questions people may have and then answering them. In verses 27 through 31, that's what Paul does here. He asks three questions and then he seeks to answer them. So let's read verse 27 through 31 as we finish out chapter 3. It says this, then what becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Well, no means. On contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul, like a good school teacher, he walks through these questions here. And the first question that we find ourselves in in verse 27 through 28 is this. Paul says, what then becomes of our boasting? Well, Paul's already told the Gentiles, he's already told the Jews that they don't have any grounds for boasting, that there's no entitlement 
that belongs in the life of a believer and that there's no superiority or reason to brag about their status as Jews, but all are under the wrath of God. So now that Paul has said that there's appeasement of the wrath of God through the blood of Jesus Christ who satisfies the righteous wrath of God, then what becomes of our boasting? Well, Paul says, there shouldn't be any. It's excluded. It's shut out. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? But we do have a reason to boast, right? In fact, we see Paul in his letter to the Corinthians quote Jeremiah, and he says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So church, we do have a reason to boast. It's just not in ourselves, but rather it's in Jesus Christ alone. So we boast in our inability to keep the law perfectly. We boast in our inability to measure up to God's standard of perfection. We boast that God in his supreme goodness sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby who was fully God and fully man, who lived a perfect, sinless life, but yet he went to a cross and in this beautiful exchange became righteousness for us. See, in this beautiful exchange, Jesus got what he did not deserve, death on a cruel cross, and we get what we don't deserve which is the righteousness of God imputed or placed upon us. Where God sees us and he doesn't see our sinfulness, but he sees the righteousness of himself through the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins. Oh, church, we have much reason to boast. Just none of it's in ourselves. It's all in Jesus Christ alone. See, in Christ alone, our hope is found that through our faith, he is able to declare us as just to save us from our sins. And may we never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, like we see in the book of Galatians. Oh, what a love, what a cost. Believers, we stand forgiven at the cross and let's boast in that church. The second question Paul asks in verse 29, he says, is God the God of the Jews and the Gentiles? Paul simply answers here, he says, yes. Since God is one, he saves all and he justifies all through faith. See, the amazing thing about the gospel is that all humans, Jew and Gentiles alike, are saved in the same way before the same God. And therefore, there is this amazing unity that comes from our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, Tim Keller said this passage gives the Romans reasons, and I love this, to be gracist and not racist. I thought that was a great quote. In our context, this is still good news. Because I often say, hey, we're not gathered here united by our race or by our language or by our country of origin or by the amount of money that we have or we don't have. But we are gathered here united solely by our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? It's our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord that unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is Paul's point here. And this is a point that we need to constantly be reminded of today as well. Well, why? Because humanity likes to find any way to elevate ourselves as more important or special than the person that's sitting next to us. But the gospel cancels out our boasting. The gospel also cancels out our superiority because it is Christ who is supreme, not us. So church, let's proclaim Christ's supremacy to cause us to be gracist and not racist. Let's be united and not divided. Let's be one and not many because Jesus Christ is Lord of us all and let us proclaim that today, church. The last question that Paul asked here, he says, the Jews most... He says, do we still uphold the law? 
Now, the law was the Jews' most treasured possession. So how would they react to Paul telling them that justification was by faith only and that the works of the law could not satisfy God's righteous wrath? Well, Paul, in some of their minds, may have seemed to set the law and to set faith in opposition to each other, exalting faith and maybe even nullifying the law. So Paul proposes the questions, do we then overthrow the law? And Paul says, by no means, not at all. May it never be. We uphold the law. See, Paul is saying that the cross of Jesus Christ, through which justification by faith was made possible, not only does not nullify the law, but it confirms it. So Paul says, no, we uphold the law. See, the law was never given as a means of salvation, but the law was given to show men the perfect standard of God's righteousness and to show those standards that are impossible by humans to meet in our own power. See, the purpose of the law was to drive us as humans to faith in God. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, said that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Later in Romans chapter 6, we see Paul ask, are we, to sin? are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And then he says, ain't no way there. See, church, our righteousness does not come from our perfect obedience to God's law, but his righteousness, which is written on our hearts, causes us to desire to obey his law. See, because we have been loved by him, and we love him, and we trust him, and we have faith in him, we desire to obey him. So yes, we uphold the law. So Paul in verse 27 through 31 has said, hey, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, so that you can give glory to God alone. Then Paul says, hey, the gospel doesn't divide, but rather it unites. So let's not be racist or divided, but let's be gracist who are united. And finally, Paul says, the cross of Jesus Christ upholds the law. And we seek to obey him because we love him and we have been redeemed by him. And church, the text that we find ourselves in today is a rich, rich text. And I pray that you have been encouraged by it today. So today, having seen what God's word says and what it means, I wonder how it is that we might apply it to our lives. So today, I just have three really short applications for us today. The first application is this. Church, remember that our salvation is a settled reality. And church, when we looked at this text today and we talked about justification that comes by grace as faith through faith, I pray that it has stirred you in a few ways. And I pray that it's reminded you of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save you from the wrath of God. But I also pray that it has reassured you of God's great part in your salvation. None of it was dependent upon you. See, we as sinful humans can't take credit for a lick of our salvation. Therefore, I pray that this brings you comfort when you have the feelings or the attacks from the enemy that says, surely I'm not good enough for God. Or you have feelings of, how could God love someone like me? Surely he doesn't know what it is that I have done. Or maybe you have the fear of abandonment and fear since you messed up one too many times that God is going to abandon his love for you. But church, remember what God's word says. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. God does love you. And when God justifies us, it is a one-time settled legal act. It's something that God has done, and so it's something that no man can undo. Therefore, if you are a child of God, you will forever be a child of God, no matter what you have done or what you will do. I like the way that the old preachers used to put it. 
They used to say, when God saves you, he casts your past, your present, and your future sins into the depths of the deepest oceans, and then he puts up a no fishing sign. However, what's our tendency, church? He may not be fishing, but sometimes we are, aren't we? Hear me, Christian. If God has forgiven you, then sometimes you need to forgive yourselves as well. Yes, you messed up. Confess your sins. Turn from them. But let's keep on keeping on. Let's move on. Forgive yourself just as God has forgiven you. Remember, our salvation is a settled reality. Second observation. I won't go into it today too much because we already talked about it. But second observation. Remember, our only boast is in Jesus Christ. And then our third application. Remember our unity as believers of Jesus Christ. When we looked at our text today, we were reminded that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a great unity. Do you know today that if you profess belief in Jesus Christ, you have more in common with the believer in the most remote part of Africa that you've never met than you do with whom your golf buddy or your neighbor who does not profess belief in Jesus Christ? We have a unity that comes from our confession in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We say that, but church, we need to start living that out. Look in this room. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have a common father. And we have a common confession. But do you really know one another? So I'd like to challenge you today. Find someone in this church whom you don't already know. Go to lunch with them. Go play golf with them if they do that kind of thing. Go grab coffee with them, and they should do that kind of thing. Invite them over to your home or share your testimony with one another. And you'll never know how much you might be encouraged through hearing the testimony of your brother or your sister in Jesus Christ who's in this very room. Hear me, church. We're going to be in heaven with one another for all of eternity, so we might as, go well, we might as well go ahead and get a head start on getting to know one another, right? I've been blessed by the testimonies of the brothers and sisters in this room. I could share them over and over uh, and, and just how they have touched me. But it shouldn't just be me who is encouraged by your testimonies. We should know one another. So church, today I want to challenge you. Find somebody in this room that you don't already know and make a plan to meet up this week or next week. Go get to know one another, share your testimony with one another, and you'll never know how much you might be encouraged through getting to know brothers and sisters who you already share a common faith, a common father, and a common confession with. A big idea for today is this. The only hope that we have from the wrath of God is Christ alone. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Believer in this room, would you remember today that our salvation is a settled reality? Maybe today you're distant and you're far from your relationship with God, but you've already professed belief in him. Would you come and would you repent of your sins and would you commit to following him? Maybe today the enemy is tempting you to despair and to believe the lies that you're not a child of God. Would you come to this altar and would you pray that God would protect you from the lies of the enemy and would he remind you the truths from his scripture as you read it this week? Believer in this room, remember our only boast is in Jesus Christ. Catch ourselves. If we're boasting in ourselves, call out your brother or sister. Call out yourself. Let's not boast in ourselves, but let's boast in Jesus Christ. And finally, remember our unity that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. If you're in this room and you've never professed belief in Jesus Christ, I've shared the gospel already with you. Today, if you don't have the confidence of salvation, of the righteousness of God, 
uh, being imputed upon you. You don't, have, you don't know that you're justified, that God sees you as righteous. Would you call on the name of the Lord for salvation today? To tell him that you have faith in him, that you trust him, that you believe in him, and would you seek to follow him and obey him? In a moment when we sing a song, that's the moment that you can come down front and I can help you walk through this. Whatever it is today that we need to do, church, this is our time of prayer. As we spend time in prayer at the altar with God. So would you come and let's do business with the Lord today. Church, I love you so much. Let's pray.